Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. We want you to know that during COVID, we're holding one big service outdoors and we'd love for you to join us whenever you can. And now, here's our teaching for this week. We hope it leads you to encounter the way of Jesus more fully. Hi, everybody. Uh, if you're just joining us for the first time online or by podcast, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to say welcome to you. I'm so honored that you would uh, join us, and I trust that what I talk about today will help you move closer to Jesus, whether you're exploring faith or you're just looking for a church that you can connect with. If you've never been to our one big service, I want to invite you to come out for that too at 1030 on Sundays. We're socially distanced and uh, we have a great campus that uh, we, we just have a great time being together as a church. And to everyone who is Sunridge family, uh, but you couldn't be with us this week, or maybe you're because of COVID, you're just not ready to be in crowds. I just want you to know that we miss you and we're really looking forward to being back together again. In fact, this week, I'd just love to give a shout out to one of our folks that I know is watching every week, Patricia. You know who you are, and I just call her out because she gives the best hugs, number one. And then also, she is a Miami Dolphin fan. And because I'm from Miami, that's where I grew up. Um, go Canes, go Fins. Uh, I share that with her. So I'm looking forward to us wearing our Dolphin uh, shirts on Sunday morning when we could be back together again. Uh, we are in something that is called the Sermon on the Mount, if you're just joining us. And uh, we're, we're just cresting into uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. So I'm just going to jump right into the text by reading it. Matthew 7, verse 1, Jesus said, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And in verse six, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Uh, the Barna Group did a study in which they surveyed 16 to 29-year-olds, and in the survey, they asked them to respond to the word Christian. Uh, and here are the top three responses to the word Christian by this group. Are you ready? 91% the top uh, response, anti-gay. 87% number two is judgmental. And 85% coming in third, hypocritical. It's interesting that Jesus said that we are to be known by our love. And yet in this study, it doesn't seem that that is the fact. 
David Kinneman, the president of the Barnett Group, summed up their findings with this. He said, it started to become more clear to us that what they're experiencing related to Christianity is some of the very things that Jesus warned religious people about, which is avoiding removing the log from your own eye before trying to take the speck out of someone else's. In this passage, obviously, in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, the quintessential teachings of Jesus, he is talking about this very thing, this idea of the judgmental spirit. And he begins with a warning and a consequence. Verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. Now, understanding what Jesus is talking about here really hinges on how we think about or define the word judge. Because here, in this case, it's a very general word. The word judge, or in the Greek, the original Greek, krino, is to decide, judge, or condemn. It's like three different facets of this one word. To decide means simply to evaluate. You know, I'm going to choose the ice cream that I like. It's either chocolate or vanilla. By the way, vanilla is the world's favorite little factoid uh, for you uh, that I found out. Um, To judge in this sense would be like to determine a winner. If you had a pie baking contest or a singing competition, someone judges to say this is the best singer or pie maker. And then there's the word that perhaps we're more familiar with with a nuance, which is to condemn. And that idea of a judge being in a court who makes a decision about punishment or exoneration. And, but this, this way of judging, this idea of judge here, assumes that that person that is judging is both educated and qualified to make that determination. So all of these are legitimate instances of judging. So what I want you to see about this word is in and of of itself, it's not a word that is associated with all kinds of negative connotations, but it can be negative. And that's definitely the way Jesus uses it here. But we don't know that from the word itself, but by the ideas that Jesus surrounds it with. I think it's actually good that when Jesus uses this word, it's kind of a general word, not specific when we talk about judging, because it imposes introspection on us. You know, sometimes uh, when we study the Bible and we look at a word, uh, we, we look at the original languages, either Hebrew or Greek, in many cases, and you get kind of an aha moment in doing that because the way that, it, that that original word in the original language is so specific. Like when we talk about love, there are different kinds of love, the eros love, phileo love, or agape love. And we're like, aha, that's, that's the word he's using here, and it's so specific. But with judging, as we'll see here, it really comes down to many other things, whether it is a good thing or a bad thing. So I want to start by just kind of laying some groundwork on specifically what Jesus says here, what he teaches about judgmentalism. Number one, he says that we should expect the same standards when we judge. Now, he In the first sentence, he says, don't judge or you will be judged. And in verse two here, he's kind of saying, in case you didn't get what I threw down in that first verse, I want to repeat it only in expanded version. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And then he goes a step further with the measure you use, it will be measured to you again. So Jesus is coming at this like at all these different angles, this one basic but simple thought 
He's saying, if you judge in this way, you're going to be judged by that. And then specifically here, he says, you're going some, whatever measure you use, whatever rule you use to, to judge others, that's the same scale that is going to come back to you. Now, one of the questions I have here is Jesus saying simply what goes around comes around or paybacks, you know, are a real bummer. It is true that the threat of consequences, you know, if you judge, you're going to get judged back. Sometimes that can move us in a way that other factors can't, like love. In other words, like consider like why don't you go 80 miles an hour on the freeway here? On the I-15, when the speed limit is 70, is it because you love people so much? Or is it because you know that, and I know that some of our CHP officers are listening right now, if you go 80, you're probably going to get a ticket, right? Eight, you're great. Nine, you're mine, is a saying that I grew up with. I think that what Jesus, may, he may be doing this here. He may be warning of consequences and but I think he's, he could also be referencing what comes later in this chapter, the golden rule, which is to do unto others as you would have done to you. And in other words, he's saying, do you really want to be measured by this standard? Do, as you do this, what, what would it feel like to be that person that you are doing it to, that person that you're judging? Is that what you would want? Were you in the same situation? And I think what Jesus is doing here is he's confronting uh, our human nature of, you know, our inconsistency. We, we often have two standards, one for ourselves and one for others. And that Paul is echoing that in Romans 2. We've, we've often said through the Sermon on the Mount series that you see these same themes and the teachings of Paul in the first century church because this is ground level. This is foundational to Christianity. And so a lot of what we read later in the Bible is all drawing from these three chapters as we have them today. And when Paul writes to the Romans, the Christians in Rome, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, you there Therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? When, in other words, Paul is saying when it comes to our flaws or sins, we have a tendency to minimize ours but to maximize others. And Jesus is simply saying at the, in the first part of these uh, verses that we're to use the same standard for ourselves as we do for others. The second thing that Jesus is saying about judgmentalism is that we should consider our own vision impairment or plural impairments as is often the case. I know uh, those of you who are listening or watching, um, you probably have gone to see the optometrist and I go to get an annual checkup. And, uh, but what have you noticed that you don't, when you go in, they don't just give you a prescription. They do a bunch of tests and assessments, evaluations to determine what your or my impairment issues are. You start by not just giving them your credit card and filling out your paperwork, but the first thing you do is you look at a reading chart 
cover the left eye, cover the right eye. And then they do that peripheral vision thing where, you know, you have to push the button as it comes in or like when things line up. Those, some of those are so stressful, by the way. They do that thing where they blow air in your eye or you try to see, you know, like numbers or letters within something else to look for color blindness. That's all done before any prescription or action is taken, whether it's a surgery or medicines or corrective lenses. And that's, that's what Jesus is getting at here in this graphic but comedic image that he gives us. And, and you're, you're probably so familiar with this, whether you read the Bible a lot or not. It helps us grasp what he is saying about our own vision impairment. In verse 3 of Matthew 7, he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, you probably already know, and we've talked about it in this series, but Jesus was a carpenter or more likely a contractor. So in a trade like that, I'm sure that he got things in his eye or eyes. And, you know, they had, they didn't really have quality mirrors in that day. They certainly didn't have the magnification mirror all lit up that my wife has that I have to use now. Thank God for that. There's no telling what would be going on on this face had I not uh, been able to look more closely. Sometimes I scare myself, by the way. But um, Jesus and the people of that day, if they had something in their eye, they would certainly re have to rely on help from someone else. And here Jesus gives us this picture. And you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. It, who knows if it wasn't a construction joke, you know, let me help you. But he gives this, this picture, maybe he picks up a log, maybe he picks up a piece of wood and he holds it in front of him and he says, how can you do this? How can you have this in your eye and then help somebody else? It's brilliant. It's a brilliant way to connect to that first century life. And then also for us, we get it. And the point here isn't that our sins are worse than others or vice versa, but the point is that we have sins too. The point is that you and I, we get stuff in our eyes. Some of us have, like me, we have a, a, um, an eye impairment that's called farsighted, which means that in my case, I can see far away really well, but I can't see up close. And that's gotten worse over the years. So I have to wear glasses or a contact to be able to see things up close. But it's interesting, my impairment very much parallels what Jesus is saying here in a way, that our vision is very sharp to see far away, that is others, but blurry when we look up close at ourselves. Now, some physical uh, vision impairments can be corrected and some cannot. But here's the thing. This is good news in the case of judging the way Jesus is telling this story. It's totally repairable. And actually, it's something simple like just remove the thing from your eye that is impairing your ability to see. 
Can you imagine if the next time you went to the optometrist and you walked in with a two by four held up in front of your eye, I know it wouldn't stay there otherwise, and you said, you know, doc, I'm having a hard time seeing. And the doctor would simply take the board out of your eye and say, there you go. Now you can see. It's a pretty easy fix. What am I saying? I'm saying that before, and I think this is what Jesus is saying, before we offer a prescription to someone to get something out of their eye, Jesus is saying we really need to check our own vision because it, because it could be and very likely is impaired. Now, if you've been a Christian for any time, you know that this is, you're very familiar with this teaching, but I, and you just saw like, judge not lest you be judged. And sometimes we even use that in defense of something that we've done when somebody is even trying to help us, right? But, you know, it's, sometimes it can be difficult to tell the difference. Like how, how do I take this simple concept that in application in my day-to-day life, when I want to help people, I'm a pastor, you're, you might be a parent, you're a coworker, you might be a coach, you might be in a supervisory role, you might, you're, you're a Christian and you want to help others. That's where it gets complicated, right? How do I do this in a way that is helpful? And that's what I want to, the rest, the rest of my talk is going to focus on two things that I think will help us kind of get in the groove and how to do this well to help others without being judgy. Number one, we have to be discerning and loving. Um, the emphasis here is on and, discerning and loving. And we have to distance ourselves from this simple binary choice of only doing one or the other. So I want to start off by talking, by saying this, that Jesus isn't saying, don't be discerning. Don't assess life. He's not saying don't think critically or um, don't measure one thing against another. He's not saying don't see things that need to be changed in the world and people and your friends or in your family. And he's not saying don't decide the best path in front of you. Actually, it's the opposite. Being discerning or picking good over bad or possibly better over okay or moral over immoral or wise over foolish to turn left or to turn right is something that we're supposed to do. And in fact, this whole sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, is about choosing the way of Jesus over something else, which is to judge to assess in a way. And Jesus used moral judgment all the time. So Jesus never said, don't use good judgment. He said, don't judge. If sin is destructive, and it is, if our human flaws are going to hold us back from the potential God has for us, then we can't just turn away from one another and say, well, you know, that's not my circus, not my monkeys. I can't judge them. Here's the key. And it's a quote from John Wesley. The judging that Jesus condemns here 
is thinking about another person in a way that is contrary to love. I think you get it. It's like we have to have discernment with love. We have to have both. And they have to be packaged in a way that they are inseparable. Did you ever get a shipment like a, like a, you know, a toy for your kid or a piece of furniture or a tool? And in the package, they didn't send you all the parts. And as you put it all together, it's like, uh, I can't finish this. When we ship discernment to one another, it has to be shipped with love. You see, being discerning and loving is to say, I see what's going on here. And because I love you, I want the very best for you. And if someone really does love you, then they are going to call things out in your life. They are going to confront things that you may have in your life that are destructive. They're going to bring it up. Often here at Sunridge, we talk about how the church is meant to be a hospital, not a fortress. And I think that this is the idea of being both discerning and loving because a fortress excludes people. The walls are built to keep people out. But a hospital constructs walls in order to house people who are trying to get well. Both are discerning, but only one loves. Do you get this? That if, if we are a people or a church that simply constructs walls, in other words, we're discerning. We say there are dangerous things. There are, there's sin in the world. There are poor choices. There's a different way of doing life than the way of Jesus. And if we build walls around ourselves that says those are the bad people, we have to protect ourselves from them. That's being discerning without love. But yet if we construct a hospital, we're constructing walls that will invite people in, not to an undiscerning environment, but to a truly discerning but also loving environment. We've talked about how these concepts are all over the New Testament. I've already mentioned it in this sermon. And I think that Paul must be reflecting later uh, on Jesus' teaching when he did write this letter to, to the believers in Rome. And I've already read verse 1, but in verse 4 of, of Romans 2, he's talking about how or what happens when we discern without love. And he says, when we discern, when we judge without love, you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience. Think about that. That when we, from a position of having been saved by grace, by being flawed and broken people who are simply trying to bear the image of God in our community, in our family, in our world today, when we, instead of becoming a channel for discernment and God's love, when we, when we see the thing, that are wrong in the world or in people, but it is without love, then we are really showing contempt for the kindness, forbearance, and patience that God has given us. I think that's really important because in recent years and increasingly over 
recent years, it's become in vogue for Christians to be harsh, to blast away, to label, to use bombastic language. And the more hardcore, the better. And often I find that Christians are proud of having done so. Now keep in mind that no one says to themselves, I'm going to be a self-righteous, judgmental jerk. I'm going to be filled with my own importance and my own self-righteousness because I'm better than this person. So I'm going to look down at my nose at them and they are so unworthy of me that I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to fancy a chance of change in them. Instead, I'm going to be overly critical and unhelpful. None of us would say that out loud, right? But do we do it? You see, when we, when we do that, when we are discerning without love, we're not being a Christian at all. We're being a jerk. That's in the Greek, by the way. And we are showing contempt for the gospel. Because discernment without love is not Christianity, it's jerkyanity. So we have to ask ourselves, what are our goals in life? What do we want to do with these years that we have on this earth? Are we looking for opportunities to tell people off? Or are we looking for opportunities to elevate the gospel and to point people to Jesus? We have to have discernment with love. The other thing is we must be motivated by reconciliation, not condemnation. Motivated by reconciliation, not condemnation. Some of you who are athletes, you know what game films are. It's something that you watch uh, before you play a team. For me, my sport was football. We, you would watch all these hours of game films leading up to the game so that you could learn your opponent's flaws and their weaknesses and obviously their strengths as well long before you play them. And then your game with them would be filmed. And after that game, you would review the film of that game to learn from your mistakes. And many of you, like me, have sat in that dark room with it in my day, it was a projector, not a, not a video tape. Um, it wasn't uh, chiseled in stone, I just want to say. Um, and those mistakes that we made often were called out in a humorous way, but you knew in the end that the coach was there to help you be better. Hopefully your great plays got called out too, but... We looked honestly at our mistakes, but for a good reason, to get better. And aren't we, aren't we like coaches to one another as believers? I mean, what's the goal that we have in pointing out something with someone else? What's the outcome that we're seeking? Are we seeking reconciliation for someone to break through and to get better? Or is it condemnation? Because I imagine that you, like me, you've experienced both. We know the difference. But which feels better and which is helpful? 
Why is it that we become condemners instead of reconcilers? Well, psychologists have studied this on why people become overly critical and condemning of others. They, they note that sometimes it's out of insecurity that we feel good about ourselves when we make others feel bad. We elevate ourselves above them. Sometimes we're just scared and we're fearful. And so that intimidation that comes and, and that fear causes us to like strike out at others. Sometimes we're just jealous and we want to level the playing field. It can be a way to control. Criti criticism can be a way to control others. And sometimes we're lonely. Psychologists have noted that sometimes lonely people will be hypercritical of others and they find connection with other people through that negativity. That doesn't last, by the way. No friendship lasts. It's based on bitterness or a critical spirit. If you've ever been in a judgy environment, whether it's in church or like in, you know, like on probation and as an, an employee in some industry, um, then you know the fear and the shame and the oppression of constantly being under that, that microscope of other people's expectations. How do we turn then from being condemners to reconcilers? Because that's really what we want to be, right? Well, James gives us a great picture for that. And we studied James uh, a, a while ago. It's in our archives. And so you can check that out. But what I'm trying to bring a picture that James gives us out of this, and I think it really captures this idea. In James 4.11, James writes, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister judges them, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, here's the picture that James sets up. There is the accused, right? There's a court scene and, and there's an accused, which is a brother or sister. There's a judge and then there's obviously a prosecutor as well. And the picture that James is saying is like he's, he's saying when you speak against that brother or sister. In other words, you are in when you're in the role of judge or prosecutor. The picture here, and I think it's the key to understanding this and grasping the difference between reconciling and condemning is the key is where do we see ourselves in this picture, this image that James gives us? Where are we standing? A condemner sees themselves sitting next to God and looking out at their neighbor who's on another across another line. That is to sit as the judge or prosecutor, right? But a reconciler sees themselves standing next to their neighbor in the courtroom. Do you see the difference? The biggest temptation here is in reading scripture and learning and growing, in fact, in your faith, is that it's easy to take on the role of God in this picture. His voice becomes ours. It's like, yeah, me and God, we're on the same side. 
And we're over here and you're over there. And we don't like you because you're bad. You're on the outside, but I'm in. You know, over here with God. But really, where are we in this picture? This is, this is a very easy rut for pastors to fall into. Uh, I happen to be in that category because we're often thought of as speaking for God, which I don't think is true. By the way, we actually speak about God as a neighbor to our flock or to one another. But you know that this, this picture of being on the side with God and condemning the others, that's not just a pastor thing, right? What James is bringing out, what Jesus is bringing out, what Paul is bringing out in each of these instances is really living out the gospel. This is an example from our own lives, having experienced the gospel of returning and living in a way that reflects that reality of God's grace. That's why Jesus said in John 3, 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And the question is really simple. Am I in the world? You and me, are we existing to save the world or to condemn it? And I think it's that idea that comes forward that leads us into this, this next section. Verse 6 of dogs, pigs, and pearls. You know, it's like there's so much conversation about what this actually means. But um, here it is. Let's look at it. Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, what? how does that follow? Well, there's been a lot of discussion about that. There are a lot of views. I, I mean, one thing you see, I asked myself is I thought Jesus just said, don't judge. And now he's calling people pigs and dogs. <laughs> I think the best explanation here that resonates most with me is that this is a parable of what Jesus has just been saying, not an allegory. Now, an allegory is something, is a story that things mean something else. But a parable is a story that has a point. So if this is a parable, then not an allegory, nobody is a pig or a dog. It's reflecting back like what are pigs and dogs? What, what do they care about? The point is that pigs and dogs don't care about pearls, right? Pigs care about mud and slop and dogs care about I don't know what the dogs care about. Biscuits, dog biscuits, and laying around. The dogs I had did. And Jesus is simply reinforcing what he just said about judging. And he's encouraging us to use wisdom in being discerning, but also to consider what a person values. The timing of what we say. And the level of interest in what we're saying. Because when, when we're judgmental, um, our tendency is to take our concepts and our ideas, our ideology, and to shove it down someone's throat. 
and to impose something on them that they're really not interested in. And in the end, it won't be helpful to anybody. It's likely only to provoke anger and to galvanize them to never ever listen, or as Jesus said, they will trample and tear you to pieces. There's a lot to think about, isn't there, in this simple, often quoted passage. Here's my wrap-up thought. I think what Jesus is saying here is that we have to be careful not to become the person the kind of person that would have never accepted the person we used to be. I think that, or are today, right? Let me repeat that. Don't become the kind of person that would never have accepted the person you used to be. That's all Jesus is saying. And so to wrap up here, I just want you to consider this. Like, look at your world. Look, look at the times that we're living in and the things that are happening. And in, in that context, some of you are going to go to work tomorrow. After listening to this, you're going to go to lunch or to, to breakfast, to brunch somewhere. You're going to go home. You're going to be with your family. You're going to make comments on social media. And you're going to interact with people in all these different environments. Who will we be? Who will Christians reflect in this crazy, chaotic, and often bombastic world? Will the world see more of judgmentalism? Will they see overly critical and condemning people? Or will they see people who are discerning and loving and people who are seeking reconciliation in the world? That's the question for us to ask. Let me pray. God, thank you for such a simple and clear word from Jesus and so convicting to me. I've been a Christian a really long time and it's just so easy for me and probably a lot of our listeners or online guests or just to like fall into a rut where we got it right and others don't and we're not even considering the fact that we're part of the big picture and the process to bring people toward God. Would you use us that way in Jesus' name? Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Hey, everybody. It's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need help with something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. Or if you'd like to know more about us, just go to our website, sunridgechurch.org, and you'll know what to do from there. We hope you'll listen in again next week. But in the meantime, wherever you go, deepen faith, bring hope, and live love.